Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we bow to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. We're mindful that every good thing we have is from your hand. That everything that we receive from your hand is good. Father, would you help us to realize this more and more? We thank you for gathering us today. We would ask that our time might be well spent. Would you grant that we might understand what we read? Father, would you take care of those who are apart from us? Would you lift those who are not well? Would you comfort those who are bereaved? Father, in all of these things, would you take honor to our Lord Jesus? We ask it in his name. Amen. Our lesson today is in the 17th Psalm. Psalm 17. This is one of the prayers of David. Hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried, tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about, they are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth, like as a lion that is greedy of his prey. 
And as it were a young lion lurking in secret places, arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest, with thy hid treasure. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Beautiful psalm. One of the prayers of David, we are not told the timing of this particular prayer, and it is quite possible that it was prayed on several occasions. It is an appeal to heaven from the persecuted on earth, and if we look closely at this psalm, we will see the son of David here. In the first verse, we have an appeal that is made three times, couched in different words to get the ear of the judge. He was convinced in his heart that he was right And he knew that if he could present his cause to one who knew the facts, that he would be relieved. Now we, we do well. We can be convinced that if he hears us, we will be granted our petitions. Remember, John says in the fifth chapter of 1 John, 1 John 5, verse 15, And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, if our God would not or could not hear our petitions, our case would be deplorable indeed. We sing today, today I will make reference to several songs. This is an This is because I'm an admirer of song, but it's also an attempt to get you to to see what you're saying when you sing. Ah, whither could we flee for aid when tempted, desolate, 
dismayed, or how the host of hell defeat had suffering saints no mercy seat. The answer to that question is, I don't know. I don't know where else we have to go. But we are instructed, encouraged to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we do have a mercy seat. And we can approach by the way that he opened for us into the Holy of Holies. Very costly to him. Very precious to us. Hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer. Now, quite honestly, there is more cause to fear that we will not hear him than that he will not hear us. we get distracted and occupied with other things. The din and commotion of this world occupy our attention and drown out the whisperings of that still, small voice. But regardless of how many hundreds or thousands or millions make their petitions to him at the same time. He hears each cry. He knows each sorrow. And he's able to relieve. Now in this particular prayer, we notice David was convinced of his innocency. He had doubtless been slandered. Slander is lied about. An untruth had been told. In an earlier psalm, we noted that someone had told... (coughs) (coughs) had told Saul, and he had doubtless believed that David was guilty of treason. And David knew this was not the case. David was a loyal subject to Saul. Never was he disloyal to Saul. This is what Jonathan pointed out on one occasion, and Saul was able to hear it. So here, David says, hear the right. 
Lord, you know. Uh, I have a clean conscience. I'm willing for you to look at me and to judge things as they are. But what about what about those times? What about those times when we come before the Lord? And we are painfully aware that some of those accusations against us are at least partly true, maybe altogether true. Then what? Well, the normal, the normal procedure, the normal procedure in a case like that is don't go. Don't talk to him. See, at a later time in David's life, after the affair of Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, when I kept silence, Psalm 32, my bones groaned within me. But when our, <clears throat> when our heart accuses us, we know God is greater than our heart and knows all things. What are we going to do then? We can't say, I have a clean conscience. And yet, this is no cause for me to be silent. When I come to pray and my heart tells me I have not lived up to the light that I know. There is another translation of this verse which is quite a fair translation. It goes like this. Hear the right. Hear, O God, the just one. That's the translation I'm looking for. Hear, O God, the just one. That is, the Messiah. And when I'm guilty, when I'm aware of faults and failings, it's time not to plead my righteousness, the righteousness of my Redeemer. You remember that Paul said in the first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 
God makes him all of these things to us. So when I need righteousness and I have none, I plead his blood. And for me to plead his righteousness ensures a prevailing prayer. Here he says, here, give ear unto my prayer, attend unto my cry. Now, a cry is a plaintive and pitiful thing. Vehement, earnest, it's not just talking. A cry is our earliest utterance. And we were blessed with mothers who were willing to hear our cries. And there is a mighty power in it, in a child's cry, to prevail with a parent's heart. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer. Now, this is no mere tautology. No simple repetition. You know, so many laps around the beads. Each of these carries a, a different connotation. Our Lord taught his disciples how to pray. But he said in John 6, 7, when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But here, out of the abundance of his grief, David would secure the ear of the judge. And... Uh, it is like the repeated blows of a hammer to drive the nail further in. And here he says, Hear my prayer, give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Lord, I'm not, I'm not pretending. I'm not playing games. I'm not flattering you. I have a real need, and I'm convinced that you can help and will help. Now, sincerity in prayer is not just desirable. It is essential. 
There are some things that God hates. I hope that by now you have begun to learn that over the sixth chapter of Proverbs, there are some things that are detestable to the Almighty. We, uh, the modern religious scene is one in which the God of the Bible is not portrayed. Uh, we, he is caricatured as a heavenly Santa Claus who uh, is eager, titillated to fill our want list. That is a caricature. It is not the Bible. It is not the God of the Bible. And while, the, while I read in John 4, 1 John 4, that God is love, before that I read that God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. If we walk in darkness say that we walked with him, we lie. Because he's not there. He's not in the darkness with us. He is light. He's love. But there are some things that are abominable to God. Proverbs 6, verse 16 there's these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, doesn't that sound like he would just be awfully proud of America today. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Hypocrisy in prayer is as fatal as it is foolish. It is detestable to man and abominable to God. He who would deceive God... <laughs> is himself already grossly deceived. If he believes that he can pull the wool over the eyes of the Almighty, he is deceived. So here David says, I'm praying. This is the prayer of my heart. 
give ear unto my prayer, which goeth not out of feigned lips. We hear him say in the 51st Psalm, Thou, Psalm 51, verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So David was aware of the requirements of the holiness of God. So here in the first verse, we have the suffering saint securing the ear of the judge of all the earth. Emboldened that he has heard him, he calls for a sentence. Pronounce it loud and clear. Blazon it forth. Let it be heard. Let everybody hear. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Now, emboldened by prayer to the great judge, the psalmist pleads for a public statement of the verdict. He would have sentence pronounced and executed forthwith. This calls to mind the words of the song by Count Zinzendorf, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. My covering are my fine array. My glorious dress, midst flaming worlds, in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day. For who ought to my charge shall lay? Fully absolved through these I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame, fully absolved by Christ's blood and righteousness. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Now, believers desire no other judge than God. He will weigh us in the scales of justice fairly and justly. David felt confident that he would be vindicated when the judge heard all the evidence. And like Simon Peter of old, he could say, I read in John 21, verse 16, the Lord said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? 
Peter was grieved because the Lord said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. So here David, David could lift up his head confident that the Almighty would vindicate him in due season. Anointed by Saul to be king over Israel, the throne was occupied by Saul. David was anointed by Samuel. I don't believe I said that right. But um, here he calls upon the judge In verse 3, Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. If we can get the judge to be our witness... I would say our case is uh, fairly well assured. When the judge gives evidence for us, this is like uh, John said, 1 John 3, verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. So here David says, and I paraphrase it, Lord, you have entered my house at all hours. You have seen me when no one else was looking. You have come upon me unawares and noted my unrestrained actions. So you know whether or not I'm guilty of the charges laid against me. Happy for David that he could say these things. Thou hast tried me and shall find nothing, that is, nothing hypocritical or wicked, as I have been accused by my slanderers. And his heart is right. But at that last great assize at which each of us will appear, The one who tries hearts as a metallurgist analyzes metal. 
certainly would find ample in me for which to discard me. There is much that is still dross. But the Lord Jesus, who has taken all of my sins upon him, will see to it that I stand fully absolved in that great day. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 5.21 He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when I am tried, his righteousness will be entered on the ledger of my account. So what will be the pronouncement at that great day. I read in Jude 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. We fail to realize what a tremendous thing he has done for us. If he if he simply paid the price for our sins of the past and said from now on you're on your own, we would never make it. But he paid the price for all of my sin. And this does not encourage me to sin. No. If I, if I have been enlightened, if I have been given to see that he became my surety, the one who took upon himself the responsibility for seeing that I arrived safely at my desired haven, If I have come to understand that, 
certainly I will not do those things that are offensive to him, my great Redeemer. So Paul, in writing to the Colossian Christians, describes what he accomplished on the cross. Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, I say, whether they be in heaven or things in earth, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That is a very enviable position. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is Christ that justifies, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. In the final part of the third verse, David was conscious of the peril of the tongue, aware of the hazards of improper or intemperate speech. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. And so he resolved to govern his speech, to curb his utterances in the uh, 39th Psalm. He says, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good. My sorrow was stirred. (coughs) James describes the peril in the third chapter of James, I read verse 7. Every kind of beast, of birds, of serpents, of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. 
And in the first chapter, verse 20, Six. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now why is that so? Well, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And frequently, we are guilty of some intemperate utterance, and we say, oh, that was a slip of the tongue. I didn't really mean that. You know, I'm not like that at all. The truth of the matter is, the real me has finally surfaced. But when we are given new hearts, when we are given new hearts, we will speak different words. It was for this reason that the Lord could say, uh, as he, he does in uh, Matthew 12, 36, I say unto you, every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now this does not mean that uh, a restrained tongue is the equivalent of salvation. But it does mean that if salvation has occurred, the things that the tongue does will be different. Does not mean we'll never slip up. We have records of some notable slips. Peter slipped and was forgiven, and we will slip, and we trust to be forgiven. But uh, the tongue is uh, really a very hazardous thing that gets us into trouble. Uh, words wound. An apology may be made and forgiveness may transpire. But there may not be a forgetting of the wounding that occurred. So we need to watch what we say carefully. Lion taming, serpent taming, these are nothing compared to 
tongue taming. The the wicked feel like they can say whatever they choose. They have absolute freedom. Who going to tell them what to say? We read that in the 12th Psalm. Let me read it to you one more time and we'll quit. Psalm 12, verse 3, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things who have said, With our tongue will we prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? This is a a very apt description of our day. We didn't get very far, did we? Thank you.